Hey, I'm Robert Randolph, and this is the Blues Podcast, baby. Hello, and welcome to the Blues Podcast. I'm Big Boy Bloater. We've got a very special show lined up for you. It's uh, it's a little bit different. We're doing it all online because of the current situation, but through the wonders of modern technology and a little bit of magic, I'm very pleased to say that I'm here talking with four-time Grammy-nominated steel guitarist, Robert Randolph. Hey, Robert. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm locked in. I'm, I'm in my basement right now, and we're under COVID like the rest of the world is. <laughs> COVID lockdown. Yeah, you're looking good, man. Last, last time we spoke, I think you had a little bit of a hangover, maybe. I don't know. You had the sunglasses on and the coffee. But you got the sunglasses on today, but you see, you seem seem a bit perky today. You doing all right? I, yeah, I think my hangover is, is kind of too much sleep hangover. <laughs> That's much. not bad. That's not a bad hangover, is it? That's not you know, bad. we we're not used to getting more than eight hours. Of, really, we're not used to getting more than six, five, six hours of sleep, man. Now I'm, you know, at home on lockdown, you get nine, ten hours. You know, you just go, you just go. Oh, I guess there's no need to stay up late or go to sleep early. <laughs> how, how have you been finding it? I mean, you know, obviously gigs cancelled. Uh, like you say, not much to do now apart from sleep and things like that. How are you coping with it all? Uh, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, hey, listen, it's, it's kind of like we're all in the same boat together. You got hundreds of millions of people. You got thousands of musicians and bands where we're all doing nothing but writing songs, playing guitar, trying to figure out ways to record over you know, Zoom and over the phone and all of these different things, you know. So, I mean, at least we get to play and practice a lot and come up with a, a lot of new riffs. And actually, the real cool part about it is you get to, you know, you get to listen to a lot of music. Man, you just put the music on and go around the house and clean and do all kinds of things. So it's kind of kind of soothing and relaxing, actually. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, hmm, you know, like we don't need to be that busy, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's nice for a little while, right? But en- enough's enough now almost, right? It's, uh... Well, well, en- yeah, enough is enough of the lockdown, you know. I mean, I'm ready to go play some live music somewhere, somehow, you know. It's, it's you know, it's not the same, you know, uh, doing all of these live sort of fan shows and, you know, for people over Zoom or Instagram Live or Facebook Live and all. It's just, just you know, it's kind of like, yeah. Everybody's sitting at home and there's one person playing their acoustic guitar or electric guitar with no band and singing, singing to microphones with no effects. It's like, wow, <laughs> you know? Weird, eh? <laughs> Just yeah, weird. Well, well, I mean, the whole point of playing live, you know, it's all about adrenaline, you know? When, when, especially when you see, when you see a guy like, 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 um, like Little Richard, right? Little Richard basically the pioneer and the author of adrenaline, live adrenaline performances, you know, I mean, it's the first guy to let you know, like, listen, get, you can get out the box. You don't, I mean, before little Richard, it was all everybody like, I'm, I'm going to love you, you know, and then little Rich came out jumping around and animated, kicking his legs out and doing all these different things. So Without that live audience, you know, people in front of you and people all around you and the sweat and the 
you know, it's kind of like we're all just sitting here, just kind of just practicing music. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think Little Richard was the, the original punk rocker, right? He just that, that attitude of, of music, just, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, he, he, he started so many different trends. The, the, the hair, the dressing, the, the, the attitude, the, 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 the arrogance, the confidence. You know, when you say arrogance, it's confidently arrogant <laughs> or arrogantly confident, you know, um, and, and, and all of that, you know, which, which let people know you could be yourself, you know, that's really what it's about, which is like, which led to rock, then punk rock, then metal, then <laughs> death metal, then all the other different things. And, yeah, you know, you know, imagine Hendrix without the attitude and the clothes and the you know, the, the freeness, you know what I'm saying? And it's, you know, James Brown, the same way. I mean, little Richard started all of that, you know? Yeah. You, know, you don't know, you know, what was he, you know, nobody knows what he was. He just had this extra feminine side to him too. It's kind of like, wow. Like, you know, is, is Richard, little Richard have a wife or what does he have kids? <laughs> Who is he? What does he do? You know, with this whole mystery. I, I think know? he scared a lot of people, didn't he? And that's kind of like what you want in your pop music, isn't it? You want you want you know, to just to scare the people a little bit. Hey, you know what? That's how we got to where we are. You know, when, 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 you know, he, he, the, the thing to, you know, you got to have some kind of mystery, you know, that's what makes the real rock stars. You know, when you get people like, Little, they they scared because it's like I said, you know, it was all about hey, you can, you have to be proper when you get on TV because you have the audience, you know, and there's kids watching, and then little Richard, woo, jumping around, you know, which led to Ozzy biting the head off of the the, the bird, you know. I mean, there's just so many different things that he led, you know. He he set an example of people. Uh, being free, you know, through their artistry, you know, yeah. that, that you can't, you know, you can't pigeonhole what's in somebody, you know, that's what makes us all different, you know. We should start talking about you a little bit, Robert, I think maybe, shouldn't we? I'll, I want to go right back to the early days, if we can, and, and, you know, your first musical influences, I mean, you were growing up and, and playing and singing in the church, right? That was, you weren't really hearing anything else at the time, were you? Uh, no, man, when I grew up in the church, you know, I, you know, we were, we had sort of our own little sort of chitlin circuit, which was like the, the Buena Vista social club of lap steel, pedal steel guitars, you know, playing flat this way, you know, and because the, really it was the lap steels, you know, because in the early days, the church couldn't afford pianos and organs because it was a poor black church and it started out in the south of the United States, Florida, then to Georgia and then but it's a church organization. So, you know, as years went on, you know, it developed into all of these other uh, different players that I grew up, well, my grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, me, we all grew up watching these sort of lap steel, pedal steel pioneers play uh, their instruments. And so that was our own little chitlin circuit. So I really only grew up wanting to be like those guys. You know, th those were my... Albert Kings and Albert Collins and BB Kings, you know, so that's what it was, you know, and then, you know, not until the year, I believe it was like 1996, 97, I believe I, uh, I, I got a tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan's greatest hits. And I remember I only wanted to play like that, you know, 
So that was like, that's what led me down a whole new path of approaching the pedal steel guitar, the lap steel guitar, like a, a guitar player, you know? Yeah. And for, uh, for people listening at home and all that, can you explain a little bit about the pedal steel? Because a lot of people won't be familiar with it. It's, it's quite an intricate instrument, isn't it? So well, here you go. You got 12 strings, a sits flat, right? And then down here you have floor pedals that you press. This is a pretty interesting zoom thing, isn't it? First time I ever did this. And underneath I have all of these different knee levers that, that move from side to side, you know? Can you see that too? Yep. Yeah, we're getting that. <laughs> it was. It really started out as a, the history of it is really like Hawaiian instrument, started in Hawaii, then really became, uh, came to mainstream American music through country music, you know, and that was sort of the, the, the whole vibe of it. But in our church, you know, we had to play it as sort of like, attitude and Bo Diddley meets, you know, Little Richard, basically, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And, you know, and that was really what it was. It was really, you start out because you got to create the rhythm, right? Of sort of like this Bo Diddley style of rhythm playing, right? And then you had to develop these single sort of singing style notes like um, the great singers. Because once the, once the great gospel singers in church would finish singing, then the steel guitar had to carry on these beautiful notes that sounded exactly or close to the singer. So it was up to you how good you are if you can get those notes precise, you know. So that was that that was sort of the uh, the the, uh, the 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 key of it all, you know. Yeah. So when you were growing up in the church, I mean, the steel, the sacred steel, as it was as it's known there, right? That's that was the instrument that everybody wanted to play. Do you remember getting your hands on it for the first time? Yeah, I remember there was a guy named uh, um, Ted Beard gave me my first lap steel. I was 14. I actually was 14 years old when I got it. But I didn't play it. You know, I tried to play because I was actually a drummer first. And I played like saxophone in, in the school band and all those kind of things. But I was a drummer for the church. And I remember wanting to play it. so. Uh, Ted Beard, who's one of the original Sacred Steel forefathers, actually, where the song, if you go to Live at the Wetlands, Ted's Jam came from him. <laughs> so he brought me my first lap steel, and I, um, and I started playing it. I was, four, I was actually 14, started playing it, and then I was like, you know what, this is too hard. I'll just be a drummer. And then, you know, I saw, I remember one of the old guys, his name was Henry Nelson, one of the other sacred steel guys and he was just like listen it, this was like two years later right he was like you got to take your time with it you just got to really get into it because I, I heard him making all of these sounds and I was like you know what I'm gonna really go back and stick with this thing and try and I just about from the age about 16 and a half going into 17 I mean I think I played every day all day eight hours a day <laughs> you know wow so that's really when I got serious about it at the age of 16, you know. And then how did you make the jump from like gospel and church music into like more mainstream blues and, and rock and funk stuff? Well, you know, I, you know, from, you know, the time when I got that Stevie Ray Vaughan tape, 
you know, I would then go to church and try to implement a lot of that stuff. And they were like, where are you getting all of this? <laughs> How did that from, go down, man? <laughs> it didn't go down well at all, man. They were like, what's he doing? What is this guy? What, you know, it's kind of, you know, I'm trying to figure out what, what is, what it reminds you of, like watching a movie. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you, when you see Jimi Hendrix, you know, how he was in like everybody's sort of backup band. He was like the backup guitar player for so many different people, but. He was just too confined, you know? He was too confined. Yeah, Little Richard, you know, the, the Isley Brothers, right? He was too confined, you know? And, you know, so it really wasn't accepted because it's like, hey, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be a guy that plays in the band, you know? Not this all over the place, too much energy, you know? So for me, you know, the church really didn't kind of, they, they liked it, but the older people were like, what's going on with this guy? This guy's full of the demons, full of the devil, <laughs> you know? But then we had this sort of thing called the Sacred Steel Convention. It was like the first one. Right, yeah. Because a, as the story started to get documented, you know, we were, we were, uh, uh, a bunch of people started to notice. So we've decided to form in the year of 1999, it was the first actual sacred seal convention. So we got all of the seal players from my church and some other sort of sort of white guys who who were sort of like not country players, but they were sort of like alternative guys who sort of sort of followed the story. And we all kind of got together in Orlando, Florida at this old college. It was actually Sanford, Florida. And we kind of got together and it was like, it was actually sort of the first time to where like in our church, it was actually like we were starting to form groups, you know, because other than that, we just played at church, you know, there was really no bands. So it was kind of like, you know, I mean, I was only like 18, 19 at the time. So it was like, hey, we're going to form a band. You know, I was like, wow, really? Okay. And it's going to be we call it Robert Randolph and the Family Band. And it was like the Campbell Brothers and this other band and this one, Calvin Cook Band, right? And so that was sort of the first time. And at that first Sacred Steel Convention in 1999, I met, which would then become my first manager. His name was Jim Markle. He had wind up, you know, we started talking and he was like, wow, have you heard of the Allman Brothers? Have you heard of this one and that one? And I was like, uh, not really. <laughs> you know, have you heard of this one? You know, have you heard of the band? And I was like, no. Have you heard of, you know, Zeppelin, I'm like, I think I heard of Zeppelin, but I never really listened to it. So, I mean, it was just all of these things. So when I got home, you know, about a month later, this box arrives, you know, and he had sent me two boxes full of every CD you can imagine from blues to funk to rock. And it was like, you know, and it was, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it's like going to college or something or going to music school for me. Cause I, you know, and it actually took me years to go through all of the different things because, you know, I fell in love with first, I fell in love with just all of this old James Brown stuff that I never listened to. Right. So it was James Brown. Then it was like the Isley brothers. Then it was the Allman brothers. Then it was Leonard Skinner. And then I wind up falling in love with the Beatles for some reason. Right. I mean, that, you know, it's great, it's great songs. And I went yeah. through a Beatles phase, great musicians, great singing. Then I fell into Led Zeppelin and I was stuck on Led Zeppelin for so long, you know? And so then was funny, like, you know, six months ago, I'm like cleaning out my basement of my house and I still, believe me or not, I still have the box of CDs, right? 
So I remember like, I'm, I'm like, like I took the CDs and I kind of like downloaded them on my computer and I put them on my, my phone and I'm driving one day and I'll hit, I hear, I'm like, you know, the song comes on. It's like, I'm ready for love. Oh baby, I'm ready for love. I'm like, well, who the hell is this? You know, how come I never, and it was like, oh, bad company. I was like, how come I never heard of this band? <laughs> you know, I mean, it literally, this is six months ago that I'm talking about, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, how come I never heard of bad company? You know, so I'm going through, you know, all of the different things. So now I'm, I'm in love with bad company, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like, I'm still learning, you know? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm still learning as well. There's still bands I'm coming across. <laughs> I think, how, did, how have I missed this band out for so many years? But it's just, there's always yeah. those little holes in your, in your musical knowledge that kind of get filled as you go along. But I guess you start yeah. a little bit later than most, right? Yeah, it's a real interesting journey how it all happens, you know. It's kind of because you go through all these phases to where, especially for me, like once I sit down at the guitar and start playing, I'm kind of just in my own world because I'm coming up with so many riffs and ideas and choruses, verses, and, I, and you know, I probably have 500 unfinished songs, you know, because I'm so ADD once I get on the guitar, you know. <laughs> and like many musicians, we all are. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so, you, you know, I, you know, I, that's kind of how it is. So I really don't actually get to sit down and listen to music because I'm so ADD unless I'm on a, a long flight or taking a long ride in a car, you know, because once I sit down at the guitar, it's just kind of me and a guitar and, you know, and now, you know, you get older, you try to practice. It's not like when you were younger, you'll, you'll sit all day and try to learn something. When you get older, you kind of like, you get frustrated. You're like, well, I don't, it takes too long for me to learn that new scale, you know, especially on this thing. You're trying to learn the scale. Yeah. You know, now the younger kids have all the technology, right? And, and they have all these different ways of learning things. So it's just, it's just funny how, where this musical road takes us, you know? And, and all through the years, it's just so funny. I was telling this story last night, you know, the first time where I got a chance to meet uh, 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 Ringo, <laughs> you know, it was a phone call, I get, yeah. and you know, we were on tour. This is actually like 2005, the summer, early summer, like it's right around this time, May 2005. We were on a tour bus, and it was like 10 in the morning. It's like, Hello, Robert, this is Ringo. And I'm like, I got the phone, I'm like, Ringo, what the hell is Ringo? I don't know, damn Ringo. And it was like, It's Ringo, leave Ringo from the Beatles. And I remember my tour manager at the time was like, his, his like mouth was wide open, right? He's like, because oh, he's such a Beatles fan, right? I mean, he's like a Beatles fanatic, you know? Like, it's, to him, it's all about the Beatles and Grateful Dead. Those are the two bands that only matter to him, right? So he was like, what, what the hell does Ringo want? So Ringo's like, hey, Robert, I just want to tell you, I really love your music. And Joe Walsh is marrying my sister-in-law, and we want you to be the wedding band. Wow. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we want you and the family band to be. I was like, wow. Kind of like, okay, you know. <laughs> so that kind of led to this whole other thing of, you know, talking to him, then meeting him at the wedding with Joe Walsh. First time I met Joe Walsh, you know, and the whole nine, you know. And yeah. which was so which was so funny because, you know, in that same box of CDs I was telling you, it was like the Eagles, but like you know, I never really listened to the Eagles that much, right? And so I'm kind of like, yeah, I know who Joe Walsh is, great guitar player. You know, I hear him on the classic rock radio stations, you know, 
the Eagles. I was kind of like, well, the Eagles is kind of my thing, but it's not right now, you know. But after meeting Joe Walsh and then hearing his stories and, and Ringo and the whole thing of how it all came together, it just, you know, here we are today, you know, and I'm still trying to learn the songs from the James Gang and all these things. So, yeah. It's unbelievable, man, you know. Joe Walsh, he's a crazy guy, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's – He's laid back though, you know. You yeah. know, he's a, he's a funny guy. He's he's great. He's he's healthy, man. He's always giving tips, you know, uh, giving me advice, and he's so clean. And it's so funny, man, because he's clean now. And I remember actually, sort of like the last time I I, I saw him, this kind of I think it was like last summer. I forget. Oh, I know we were. We were at the crossroads in September. The Eric Clap the crossroads. Uh, uh, festival in Dallas. So we were there, and I remember I got, like, drinks in my hand, you know, I'm always drinking, and I'm, like, totally drunk and acting like a little kid, you know, and I'm like, Joe, and I, like, spill my drink on Joe, and he kind of looks at me like, what the hell, Robert? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? I'm, like, clean. I'm a recovering, (laughs) you know. I'm clean. Are you going to be spilling? I don't want you spilling your alcohol on me, (laughs) you know. It's kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, Joe, you know. It's kind of it's kind of funny though, you know. It's 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 a great thing, man, because you see, you know, you you know. First of all, I'm getting old, and then you realize, like, wow, man, these dudes are seventy something, and they, and Joe Walsh is healthy, just like Eric Clapton and what he got. You know, it's kind of like, wow, there is hope for me to still be alive at seventy. You know, <laughs> fingers crossed. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> those guys look, you know, they look good, man, and it's still playing and kicking ass and sounding great, singing great, you know, and like, shoot, man, you know. That just yeah. puts the whole world of music and life into perspective when a guy like me gets to hang around those guys and get so many different uh, uh, types of advice, you know. And that's yeah. sort of the cool thing, you know. You can get, uh, you know, you can get musical life, I mean, advice. You can get, well, you can get guitar advice. You can get singing advice. You can get how to stay alive advice, <laughs> you know. So that's what's cool about the whole thing. You've done uh, you've done quite a bit of work with Eric Clapton, haven't you? You've uh, you've toured with him, and uh, you know you've played together. Uh, how did, how did you first meet Eric Clapton? You know, I first met Eric Clapton at um, actually, you know, we were this was like the year of two thousand two. Uh, we were actually playing in Tokyo, Japan, and I had just signed a Warner Brothers, and we flew out to Tokyo. And I remember somebody from Warner Brothers at the time called and says, hey, Eric Clapton's actually playing in Tokyo. Uh, and he wants to come to your show tonight. And I was like, really? I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, hey. So he's like, yeah, well, he's going to come, him and his manager and probably somebody else. So, you know, we're at this small club and, you know, we're rocking out and it's in Tokyo, Japan on like the 95th floor because that's how the clubs are, you know, in Japan, you know. So we're there and you know, we play and we're totally drunk and wasted. So after the show, you know, I was like, hey, man, did Eric Clapton ever show? They're like, yeah, he came. You know, he stayed for about 45 minutes or so and he left. I was like, oh, well, I guess we sucked then, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, well. And then literally, like, two weeks later, it was like, hey, man, Eric Clapton wants to take you guys on tour, man. And he wants to take you on this big European tour. And I was like, really? Okay. So now, you know, six months later, we were in – the tour, the first leg of the tour was in, first day was in Barcelona, Spain. I'll never forget. And we, we, we get to, you know, we get to this arena, was well, stadium. It was like the soccer stadium. 
and and I'm sitting there and I'm practicing, you know, and kind of playing. And I, and I remember my tour manager looks up and he's kind of like, it's kind of like a, he's kind of like saw a deer in headlights. And I look behind me and like Eric Clapton sort of just standing there, not saying nothing, just watching me play practice, you know? And he was like, well, I'm just really amazed at how you do that. You know? And I was like, Hey man, how you doing, man? Pleasure to meet you. And thanks for having us on tour and it's all kind of stuff. And ever since that day, we kind of would just kind of like sit down, talk and, became sort of good friends you know over the years and and you know he's just been a great mentor you know he'll he has this sort of way of of uh of telling you if if you didn't play good today though you know <laughs> he's like he's like wow he's like he'll say like hey how was it out there he's like oh man i think yeah I it was pretty good what's your thing he's like oh Sounds like you guys, it seems like you guys had a lot of drink today. <laughs> seems like you guys had too much to drink. Oh, sorry, man. You know, yeah. You know, because when you're younger, you, you, you don't know. You go out there, you play, you're drinking all day. And then you go, you go, go back on the tour bus. You stay up till six in the morning. You wake up at sound check. You play a gig, you know. So it was great, man. He's just been a, I mean, since then, you know, I've recorded on his record. He recorded on mine. We've practice we've talked on the phone many times and it's just been a great thing man it's a big he's been I, I would say probably one of the, the 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 number one sort of more influential guys on my growth in my career as a person as a a songwriter as a musician really as a whole you know just to watch him perform and and you look at his catalog yeah of, of so many different styles of songs, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like you get to, you know, when, 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 you know, we, we, and I don't even know if we really do it right now. We really give him credit, but you know, it's, I think he's, he's probably the only guitarist that really has really switched it up so many different times, you know, to go from, you know, Derek and the Dominoes to Cream, right. To, the solo stuff and tears in heaven uh you're wonderful tonight you know i mean acoustic you know it's just so many different things to to so many different models to kind of pattern myself and 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 even all of the other younger guitar players like gary clark jr and marcus king and john mayer and kenny wayne and, you know so he's he's left this path for so many of us to go down yeah. You know, so it's been a, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah, uh, I think we should give a shout out to the family band because uh, they are literally your family, aren't they? Yeah, the family band. I got my sister Lanisha; she's a great singer. I got my cousin Marcus on the drums. He's been with us the whole entire twenty years. <laughs> you know, um, uh, my other cousins on the bass and on the keyboard. So it's been a, it's been great, man. You know, you have your family with you. You you fight, you argue, you play music, you wake up. You know, does having you wake up, the family, the family with you, kind of on the road, does it keep you a little bit more grounded, or do you find yourself kind of getting a bit more carried away? Well, it's actually cool because we we all kind of really like look out for each other, you know. Like, you know, it's kind of like it's like a fam, you know, it's like a real family, you know. As like, because you know, don't forget, man, when you're on the road, there's so many different types of really sketchy people that you actually meet. You know, yep. everybody really don't have good intentions i should say right but there's but there's but there's 
you know, there's tons of great people, but there's lots of bad people. So anyway, so anyway, so, you know, you will, you will come across these people and, you know, so as a family band, we kind of all look out for each other. We kind of, I guess we had this weird way of going like, Hey man, you shouldn't go down there. You shouldn't go that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't. Okay. You sure? Yeah. 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 I'm sure. Now, go to bed, <laughs> you know? So, nice. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, that's really, that's really the key, you know? Because I think for the most part, you know, if something happens to somebody, you got to answer to the aunties or the uncles or grandma, you know, it's like, that's not a good look. It's not a good thing. Your live performances get get pretty wild sometimes, eh? There's a, you know, I've heard about you getting up and dancing around the stage and all this kind of thing. Is it just uh, when the moment, the mood takes you that, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? The, the excitement of the audience to just get you going kind of thing. Yeah, man, you know, that's that's the whole you know, point of playing live, you know, I mean, you play live for the, for the audiences, you know, and that's why it's so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, for me as a young 19, 20, 21, 22 year old, you know, I used to look at videos of, of Little Richard and Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and, and there was always this like, man, when I walk on stage, I got to give it all. You know, but then there was always this emphasis on trying to cre- recreate this setting or the feelings and the setting of togetherness that we grew up in church with. You know, when you grew up in, when we were playing in church, it was always about connecting with the, the congregation. So one guy would sing, one lady would clap, one person would moan, one person would do this. We would play music. And it was just this exchange of call and response and feeding back. So all throughout the years, I've uh, kind of put that in my live shows. And so we get wild. You know, I got, you know, I'll jump off to get, pick the guitar up, put it on my head. I got tons of scars in my head, you know. And <laughs> Yeah. I think that, I think that's when I was going through the whole Black Sabbath phase, you know. <laughs> Because, you know, I'll do that, but I won't bite the head off a bird, you know. Yeah, yeah. That seems like a bad idea in this uh, current climate for sure. But, uh, it, well, it would definitely break the internet. I would probably be famous. Maybe I should go bite off the head of a bird alive on stage when we all get back. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, leave it, man. Leave it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just talking a minute ago about uh, some, some contemporary blues guys like uh, Gary Clark Jr., Marcus King and all that. Uh, what, what do you think of the current blues scene and what those guys are doing? It's really great. You know, it, it, I think, you know, the blues went through this tough phase of, of kind of, you know, and, and I'm sure many blues guys will disagree. Some, some of the guys that, you know, you know, and a lot of them will disagree, but this is just my take. I think the blues went through, and I've actually discussed this with the blues society. and. And they actually believe it too. And, but they see a new day coming. So anyway, the new day is actually here. So I think it just went through this phase of, you know, everybody trying to be like Muddy, trying to be like, you know, uh, Albert King and trying to be like all the other blues guys, Dwayne Burnside and this one and that one. And nobody was taking the blues to the next levels because then you would have all of these diehard blues fans like, you're not playing the blues. 
It's like, well, gee, man, I, you want one four five? I mean, that's been going on since nineteen forties, man. You know, <laughs> one four five, one four five, one four five, one four five. Black, black, blue, black, black, man. That's the blueprint for us to go and create something new. You know, so I think really in the last, I would say ten years, there's been all these other guys that that have been there. You know, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Johnny Lang, you know, Keb Mo, you know. But then now there's a whole new sort of movement, you know, between, like I say, Marcus King and Gary Clark Jr. And it's really thanks, I don't know if it's thanks to me. Maybe I'll get like a little richer right now. Thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's thanks to me or who or, or, or what, you know, or who, you know, but I, it's a combination, man, you know, of <clears throat> Gary Clark, myself, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, you know. Now you got Marcus King, and now you got uh, uh, Kingfish, right? I don't know if you ever heard of him, right? Yeah, you ever yeah. heard of him? Yeah. Okay, so you got uh, Kingfish, and you got Samantha Fish, and you have this. I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving out many different other people, but for me, these are kind of the new because they're not doing the the normal blues thing. These guys are taking what the forefathers have left us. And really creating a whole new style of blues and energy and and songwriting and, and it's really beautiful and it's wonderful to see and it's refreshing. So now you're going to see a new wave. I mean, we're already seeing it now of new blues fans. You know, due to these younger guys, you know, yeah. uh, creating new waves of the blues. You know, so it's really awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really healthy at the moment, the blue scene is. Uh, yeah, it's Definitely really had healthy. that injection of somebody's doing something just a little bit different, which is great. Which is, well, yeah. here's, a, here's a crazy part. Here's what you do know, right? That as long as you're playing the blues, you'll be able to play music until you die, <laughs> right? Because we know it's not going to go out of style, right? When you look at, like I say, B.B. King, Buddy Guy, Eric Clapton, you know, and I could keep naming names of all the other people that die. Hubert Sumlin and this one and that one. Right? You play until you die, man, because R.L. Burnside, you know? Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, look at um, uh, Bobby Rush. You know what I'm saying? Same thing. Dude's 87, man. It's kind of like, wow. You know? Like, still playing, still singing, still performing. So you see yourself retiring at some point and going to live, you know, in a nice, uh, nice quiet house somewhere and having a quiet life. Let me tell you something. If anybody had an inkling of retiring, right, or, or ever had it in their brains, during this lockdown, they have denied retiring. Like, they, this, is, this is all about as retired as you can get sitting at home. So everybody's kind of like, it feels good and it's cool, but, like, nah, I'll just play till I die, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a, I forgot, had a I question. Forgot Bon. I forgot to mention Joe Bonamassa too. In my well, Joe famously says he's actually planned his retirement. He's got the date of the, like the date planned that he's going to cut off, and that's it, isn't he? He said he's going to yeah knock it. Off. I don't I, believe I, it. I don't think he'd be able to do it. But I, I highly, I highly, one hundred percent doubt that man. The guy he can't stop playing, man. He can't stop creating. He's like he never stops. He keeps going and going and going. You know. So, yeah, I see. I knew I was leaving people. I, I like I lost. I forgot Eric Gales and Joe Bonamassa, right? And the more I think, I'm sure I'll keep missing somebody. And it was not. And, and you're talking about like two of the greatest guitar players, right? 
you know, it's like, so that's, you know, that's the exciting part, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, the only reason I mentioned the younger guys, because that's really going to move the needle of the real younger movement. Cause technically we're already older. <laughs> yeah. Me, Eric Gales, who's older than me, Joe Bonamassa is older than me. So we're already older, but, it's, but, but there's just, in the last, I'd say, five to ten years, there's been this whole move, new movement of blues. Uh, yeah. We've had a question in from a, a fan of yours, a guy called Norman Lees. He wants to know, uh, did you ever make a recording with Charlie Starr? Because he saw you both playing on YouTube together, and he thought it was terrific. So is there any recordings at all or anything? So, oh, yeah. So there was. So what we did was we, we had wrote this song called Rambling Gambling Man, right? And when I recorded my last, not the, not this recent record, but the record called Got Soul before that, uh, we just, the producer decided to record it as an instrumental, right? It should have been the song featuring Charlie Starr at that point, because it was right. such a great song. Vocally, the choruses, the verses and everything. So anyway, Charlie just loved it so much to where we actually did the song live on that YouTube clip that he saw, which was, it was called Skyville Live Sessions that you record in Nashville. So it came out so great. Then we, I decided to record it with Blackberry Smoke Band. So yeah, you can hear that recording live. It's a recording. It's on a Blackberry Smoke record, I believe from their last record. So yeah, and it's really great because it goes as transition and then it goes into... We have this slow down guitar kind of moment, you know, it's great. You know, you got like, a, you got like singers going on. It's great. I've got a, I've got a big question. We always save a big question for the end. And, um, we, we like to ask everybody that we talk to this question. Now I need you to imagine this. It's like, it's a few years in the future. Okay. And, uh, there's a big meteorite heading for the earth and it's going to be the end of the world. And the world president comes to you and says, Robert, we need you to put on a show to like, to see us out, you know, to go out in style. What band are you going to put together for this? Who are you going to have in your band? And what song would you play as the last party of the world? Oh, the last party of the world. Well, is this like an all time list or do I got to, can I? Can I well, it's slightly in the future, the so you can have like holograms and stuff like that kind of thing, you know. So oh, you can cool. have anyone you want, really. Yeah. Okay, so on the drums, I would have, uh, on the drums, I would have, uh, um, uh, I would have Carter Buford from the Dave Matthews Band on the drums, right? On bass, I would have, well, first guitar, I would have Stevie Ray Vaughan on one side. And on the other side, I would have uh, um, Dickie Betts. <laughs> I mean, sorry, Hendrix fans. I mean, I love Hendrix too, but it's like I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to get some variety in, right? But and on on keyboard, it would be Stevie Wonder, right? Yeah. Uh, if I needed a a, a front singer. Right, I would pick Aretha Franklin. <laughs> right, oh, yeah, yep. It's not to be a great band, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And on bass, shoot, on, 
On base, who am I missing? On base, I'm missing somebody. On base, I would have. Uh, let's go, let's go let's go off the beaten path. Let's go on base. Let's go Willie Dixon on base. Oh, <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. See, nobody expected that one coming, right? <laughs> Great choice. That's a good band, man. It's a damn good man. Stevie yeah. Wonders. Stevie Wonder, Willie Dixon, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Dickie Betts. Wow. So what's the song going to play? The song we're going to play, Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems very appropriate, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's either either Stairway to Heaven or or I would say Freebird. (laughs) Imagine Aretha singing Freebird. See, you see what I'm saying? See where I'm going? Yeah. Imagine Aretha and Stevie singing Freebird and you got me, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Dickie Betts on guitar. What the hell's going on there, man? You see what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of, it's a shame it's, it's the end of the world because I'd love to buy the DVD of that when it came out as well. But, you know, it's like... <laughs> Sorry, man. This is the last dance, man. This is the last dance, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it will be free bird, man. Fly away, man. You know, uh, 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 a three-hour version of free bird, you know. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of people on that stage that gotta, Aretha's gotta sing for 20 minutes, you know. Stevie's gotta, Stevie Wonder's gotta do whatever he's gonna do. Stevie Ray Vaughan and Dickie Bet, come on, man, it'll be that's that's dangerous, man. I bet I bet you can't nobody put a better band better band than that. <laughs> I wouldn't dare try. I tell you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robert, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, man. Thank you so much. From from your basement there, it's it's just it's been brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so very much for having me, man. So if you've enjoyed this, why not like and subscribe to the Blues Podcast right now? Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.